the purpose of this series is not to gender fear. Like I said, we're, we're out looking for a demon or under every rock and behind every corner and every, in every shadowy place. We're looking for a false doctrine or a demon. The, the, I believe God's purpose is that we would know Him, stand strong in Him, understanding the times, the characteristic of the times in which we live. Uh, we looked at a couple of Scriptures that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is what Paul left Timothy with, basically, before he was beheaded. Okay? Just keep that in mind. What the Lord saw fit for Paul to leave Timothy uh, was to take heed that no man deceive you, Jesus said. And then there, there will come a time when they won't endure sound doctrine. The lost world does, already, already doesn't endure sound doctrine. Okay? So it has to be a characteristic of those that would consider themselves part of the church and maybe walking in that in that name and that would he says that, that some will give heed to depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and so that is a characteristic of the of the age we would be stupid to ignore that we would be stupid to just say oh god will take care of all that well he does take care of all that but he's, he showed us how to take care of it he wants us to be wise he wants us to be discerning and to understand the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of discernment. It's all through the Scriptures that we ought to understand what's going on when we hear something. Again, I don't think we're to listen with a critical spirit to, to somebody preach or minister, even if we haven't heard them before, but we ought to listen with a discerning spirit and a wise spirit to judge and discern if this is the Lord or not. Uh, does it line up with the Word of God? Here, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Isaiah chapter 48. It's just funny, uh, interesting how the Lord works. I just happened to be reading through Isaiah in my personal, you know, daily devotional time, my personal prayer time. And it's so much of it is lining up with this series on deception. And so, if you look with me with Isaiah, Isaiah 48, Verses 1 and 2. We're just going to read those two scriptures. Isaiah 48, 1 and 2. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of, the, of Israel. I just want you to follow it. It's only two verses, and we don't have a whole lot of scripture we're reading this morning. Which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord. That sounds wonderful, all of that. And make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is His name. So we're seeing something that's not lining up, right? It's not lining up with what they profess and say as to the reality of where they are in their walk with God. Okay? In, in, in Jehovah. Now this is obviously written to Judah and to Israel. I don't believe in replacement theology. I don't think the church has replaced Israel or anything like that. I do believe we can learn from these, the God's dealings with Israel and rebukes and teachings and blessings to Israel. I'll just read this two verses from 1 Corinthians. If you're taking note, these are both from 1 Corinthians 10. <clears throat> now these things were our examples. Speaking directly about Israel in the New Testament, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Now all these things happen unto them, Israel, for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon 
whom the ends of the world are come. So I don't believe the church is Israel, nor have we replaced Israel, or nor will we ever replace Israel. We're the church of the living God. But we can learn and are to learn from those, these Old Testament dealings that God had with His people Israel. Okay, now there's a couple of things. If you're looking at your Bible in, in Isaiah 48, I'm just going to recount them real quickly and we're going to talk about these things. These are some of the things that they, at the end of verse 1 and end of verse 2, they swear by the name of the Lord. The Israelites did. They swore by the name of the Lord. They made mention of the God of Israel. They, uh, they stayed themselves. They called themselves of the holy city. And lastly, they stayed themselves or leaned upon or rested upon or put themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is His name. But what was the problem with them? These things, God, God saw it. God sees through it. Okay, He can see through it in our day. He can see through it in my life. If I'm ever hypocritical or if I'm just in name only doing the right Christian things. He can see it. He certainly can see it with a false prophet, a false teaching, a false uh, movement or something like that or an apostate church. But here they, they, they made mention of this is, to me is the key verse, the end, end of verse one. They make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. They make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. But God is all about truth and righteousness. His, his throne habitation of his throne is righteousness and truth okay that, that's where he's established and what he's established truth and justice in the gates and so forth and so what what are we saying what was going on with them and how can we relate that to our day into our series on deception and, and and versus truth and so forth there was an outward appearance of godliness there was an outward agreement i guess you would say <clears throat> very shallow an outward agreement between the people and Jehovah. There was something where they would, they would align themselves and call themselves Christians when the time was right. Not Christians, but the people of God. And all this, the people would refer to themselves and project this persona, if you want to call it that, this, this idea that was false. That they really were right with God. They make mention of God of Israel. They stay themselves upon the God of Israel. They, may, they say we're of the holy city and so forth. And they swear by the name of the Lord, but not in righteousness and in truth. They were not what they claimed to be. And they would refer to themselves that they were the people of God, that they were right with God, that God's pleased with us, that we're trusting in the Lord, um, that their lives were built upon this sure foundation of Jehovah and they were trusting in Him and walking in His ways and even representing the Lord probably to the Gentile nations and protected by the Lord. They were even speaking on His behalf and yet they were, this time Israel was steeped in idolatry as a whole. They were steeped in idolatry. They were worshiping the groves of Balaam. Every green tree, the Bible says, they were offering these sacrifices to Baal. They were far from the Lord. There was shedding innocent blood in their streets. The whole book, I mean, there was a lot of woes that are pronounced in Isaiah. Some to other nations, but a lot to Israel. And a lot of good things that the Lord promises one day to regather the, the outcasts of Israel. But still, the time of Israel's history, 
they were steeped in idolatry, and yet they're saying all these things. They make mention. They make mention of the name of God, the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. And so, y'all, this is something that we can glean from. This is something that when we're looking at deception and looking at the, well, who's of God, what, who's not of God, what's truth and what's error, what's true and what's false. Uh, we have to start with ourselves and then we work outward, okay? We start with my own walk with God. If, if i if I got specks in my eye, I need to wash them out before I can see clearly to judge rightly. Judge is not a bad word. It can be wrong if you judge unrighteous judgment. But we, if we judge in a mature, biblical, godly, Christian way, first examine judge in our own lives, then we can see properly to judge, to discriminate, to discern, okay, to distinguish, to differentiate. That's what that word means. And so we have to start with ourselves. The Israelites thought, and this is common among people that are deceived and are deceivers. They kind of go hand in hand. They think that there's something in the Lord that they're not. They think they have something in Christ or possess something spiritually that they don't have. And God sees it. God can tell. The Lord's not deceived by it. The Lord wasn't deceived by Israel making mention of the God of Israel, yet not in truth and sincerity and righteousness. Okay? Pro- professing is not the same as possessing. You understand? Because what I say, people can say anything. They literally can say anything. And politicians do it to get votes. They have no intention, even in their own minds, they have no intention of following through once they get elected. They said people will forget about it. You know what I mean? But professing is not the same as possessing. When it comes to spiritual things and the things of God, our words need to line up and be one. Okay, if they're out of line, they need to line up with what we say and profess needs to line up with who and what Christ has made us and what He's doing in our lives. My preaching, if I'm going to preach to you, whatever it may be, or you're going to preach or teach to someone else or counsel them or you know, do a Bible study, we need to line up with what we profess. If we don't, we can ask God to forgive us, but that still has to be our intent to pursue after holiness and so forth and to seek after God and to line up with that. We need to know for ourselves what we really are in the Lord. I know Alberto preached in this, uh, when we were on summer vacation, he preached on uh, examining ourselves. Okay? We hear that often, and we should hear that often. To examine ourselves, we need to know it about ourselves, who and what we are. And then we need to uh, live that way. Now, God will enable us to see that if we'll go to Him humbly and sincerely. A lot of people don't approach God sincerely. We go, I don't know, with, with some uh, just falsehood where we're, we're even deceiving ourselves. When you go to God, when I go to God, I need to go humbly before the Lord. And I need to let Him search me out. And even if I don't like what He shows me, I need to be honest with the Lord and let Him deal with me as His child because if he shows me something I don't like, he also has the cure. He has the remedy to fix what I don't like. But pretending doesn't take care of any of it. I come to this altar and be fake with God. I can go pray over you and be fake with God. 
We need to be real. And our, our approaching to the approaching to the Lord needs to be in truth and in righteousness. So Israel here was doing something that I think is common. Um, and, is that, and, and I'm going to use this word, lip service. Y'all ever heard of the word term lip service before? Okay. This is dangerous. It's common, but it's dangerous. They were giving lip service to the Lord. What, what does He want to hear? We'll say this. What's the right thing to say at this time? We'll say that. Like I said, politicians are such great. Everyone's not that way, so I shouldn't say all politicians are that way. But we see it commonly in things like that. Where it's, it's lip service. It's, it's nothing more than that. They were given lip service, service to the truth, but there was no truth in them and what they were saying. And their, their love or devotion to God. They were committing idolatry the whole time. But they're making mention of the God of Israel. Um, this is dangerous. It's seductive. It's not profitable. In fact, it's, it's, it's harmful. It's very harmful to do. I want to read this in Revelation. You know, the, the church at Laodicea. I'll just read this. Revelation 3, 17-19. Because thou sayest... Now, this is the Lord dealing with one of His churches. This isn't the atheists around the corner. Okay? This isn't some big anti-Christian movement. This is one of His churches. Because thou sayest, why don't you listen to what they say and then what the truth was. Thou sayest, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. The Lord says, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be, be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed this has to be the righteousness of Christ. And that the shame of thy nakedness did not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. They weren't seeing themselves. They weren't physically blind. Okay? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Christians do need to repent, by the way. There are times in our life we have to repent. And that's a turning back to the Lord. And so, this is common. They made mention of, of the Lord. And this is done by false teachers. This is what I want to get into. Make, uh, now we're going to move it from to, to people that make mention of the name of the, of the Lord. Jesus Christ and holiness and His ways and things like that. They make mention of the, of the Lord, but don't know Him. And it's done often very intentionally and very skillfully. And we need to be wise to it. By the Lord, we need to be wise to it. It's often done intentionally and very skillfully. The purpose is to give the appearance of being godly. The purpose is to, to gain the reputation. If I was the one giving lip service to God and the things of God, it would be to gain your trust. It would be to gain the reputation among men in the circles that I am biblical, that I am uh, you know, spiritually mature, full of wisdom, loving, while actually leading you astray. Actually leading men into a false belief, a false teaching, a false practice. And you notice how the Bible talks about deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. They go together. So if I'm initially giving heed to a false doctrine, which we talked about, that's the only way that, 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 that the false 
and deception really has any power in my life or your life is that if I give heed to it. Okay? And if I give heed to it, then I, I'm deceived. And then guess what happens? I go from being deceived because I really believe this now, at least to a certain level, uh, and I'm walking in this deception now to where I become a promoter of that and, and used as a deceiver as well. Deceiving and, be, and being deceived. And so, people will, will give lip service to the things of God and things that are right and true, okay, for the purpose of, and I said some very skillfully, Tony Campola in that video is very skillful a couple of weeks ago. He knows his Bible. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing when he leads people astray. Okay? Of, for the purpose of gaining trust and appearing to be a man of God, a woman of God, a teaching of God, right doctrine, and then leading people astray. And so I want to give just an example of this. Um, a, false, a false prophet needs followers. Right? A false teacher needs students. They need somebody that they will listen. They will give heed. And they want to build and build. They want more. They want more people to throw in with them, cast in with them, so to speak. And uh, I just want to read this from Acts. Well, I'll turn and read it. From Acts chapter 8. You can if you want to. We know in, in Samaria, when Philip the evangelist was preaching in Samaria... It was a great revival. It was wonderful. God poured out His Spirit. Souls were saved. Baptized in water. Baptized in the Holy Ghost. And uh, it was wonderful. But they had this... There's man here. Let's look at Acts 8, 9-11 through 11, in Samaria. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he that himself was some great one. So he, he had a reputation, certainly not of following God, but he had a reputation of being a great one. That he was, there was something spiritual about him. There was some spiritual force and power to him. He seduced and bewitched the people to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Okay, a false teacher, a false prophet needs followers. They need people to... to to go in with them. And they give the heat, give the appearance in our day, okay, the false prophets, false Christian, I'm putting quotes around that, prophets and teachers, but give the appearance of being very godly and biblical and wise. I want to give an example. Okay, I mentioned Bethel Church in Redding, California. It's not my intent every week to come and talk about Bethel Church in Redding, California, but I can't get away from it. When I'm studying, the Lord brings me back to to mention them. I could mention a hundred others. You say, well, why don't you? Well, it's because this is what God has led me to mention. So, I'm using them almost for an example. They have a publishing company at Bethel Church in Redding, California. That's where Jesus Culture, the music, uh, is out of that, and a big part of that church. Uh, Bethel's publishing company is called Destiny's Image. There's a book that they sell online in their bookstore that they promote called The Physics of Heaven. And I want, to, I want to show you an example of how this giving lip service to godly things and then introducing a false. Literally, one sentence and then the next sentence. 
One is true, one is false. I'll show you how this works. Uh, and, and you have discernment, you, you could see it. But uh, one of the sentences in the book says, gives a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards, no matter how you feel about everything, he's known as conservatively someone that would be spoken of and as a Christian minister, well-known Christian minister. He wrote this, the, the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which is famous and, and was part of the Great Awakening in the, the mid-1700s in our country. He was a catalyst of that. Didn't know God and walked with God. Okay, Might have some differences with his doctrine and so forth, but the point is, he would be genuinely accepted within Christian circles. So the book's going to use a quote from him and then introduce something false. Remember, he lived in the 1700s, the Great Awakening, and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, He makes a statement. So this was the book, The Physics of Heaven, one of the quotes. A work of God, the book's quoting Jonathan Edwards, a work of God is never to be expected without stumbling blocks. Could we agree with that? I would agree with that. True work of God. You're going to have some. You're going to have definite definite opposition. If it's truly a work of God, Satan's going to come against you. The world's going to come against you. You're going to have your flesh is not going to want to cooperate with maybe what God's calling to do because He's wanting to do a breakthrough, some real work of God, and it's never going to be expected without some stumbling blocks. That's Jonathan Edwards' quote. I would agree with that, and I would say. Yeah, it's it's a good point. Okay, you can find that another place in the scripture, something similar to that. So, what's the author of the book on the next sentence says this, and he uses Jonathan Edwards' statement to introduce a false doctrine, and the false belief is this. This follows on the heels of that quote. I believe, author of the book, that a great work of God is in process as He restores knowledge and insight that has been lost to the church but is now being restored through the teachings and practices of quantum mysticism. Okay. That's pretty much a jump from Jonathan Edwards in The Great Awakening to quantum mysticism. Now that one's so obvious and so blatant, but it's amazing how many people, they're nodding their head when they're reading Jonathan Edwards. I've heard of him. He's a, he's a traditional, everybody knows Jonathan Edwards. Yeah, works and then they introduce something false, like Jonathan Edwards has to push through stumbling blocks and adversities to, for the Great Awakening to be part of that, for the great work of God. I believe the author says that we're in the process of a great work of God as he restores these things that have been lost to the Christian church over the years through the, through the teachings and practices of quantum mysticism. Um, I wouldn't know where to start, okay? In dissecting this, I hope you would see the, the, the absurdity of this and the anti-Christian thought of this just instantly. You might have 10 scriptures that pop to your mind and you know that this is false, okay? And so, for, there's a couple of things I'm going to point out to this. I think this is co- a common practice of a false teacher. They give you something true to do something false. They give you something true to, to maybe gain your trust a little bit, get you thinking along those lines, bob, bob in your head like yes, 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 yes. And then they introduce something where we should say no, but we say yes to that too. We keep bobbing our heads because we're halfway zoned out anyway. You know, and everybody else is clapping, so they must be wonderful. 
right? Everybody else thinks it's wonderful. So it must be wonderful. Okay, and we start clapping and we go along with it. And uh, we have to watch that. They, they'll, they'll use something like that to validate what they're saying. In other words, this person purposely gave that, script, that quote of Jonathan Edwards to link their teaching up and their beliefs to we're having to press through some, some uh, what's the word, some, some contradictions. We're having to press through some adversity okay, to, to bring this new revival of quantum mysticism, just like Jonathan Edwards did. See, we're just like Jonathan Edwards. We're, he had to push through things in his day. We're having to push through things. It's not well accepted. A lot of people aren't going to like it. Um, but you need to push on through. There was one, one lady, the and I know, and uh, she was in another church somewhere else, not even in Louisiana. And, and the church started getting off in its doctrine, having other preachers come in that weren't, that, that weren't sound and that perpetuated the false. And they were all, all the leaders of the church, which this lady was, were gathered together and told, you just need to go with this. You need to see this new thing is the right thing. This is of God. We're leaving some of those old things behind and moving on. And uh, she's like, well, if I, if I adopted these new beliefs, it's like I'd have to, to, to look at everything differently. I'd like to put on a whole new set of glasses that aren't biblical. And she was literally told by one of the leaders that you need to put on a new set of glasses. So this stuff is real. It, it's, this is not just theoretical, talking about deception, okay? It's real. It's people we know. It's, it's, um, it's going on. So um, think about the statement, just the statement itself, okay? Not just how it's used. The statement itself that I believe that a great work of God is in process as He restores knowledge and insight that has been lost to the church. What has really been lost to Jesus' church? I mean, people can, can get off. People can get carnal. People can get worldly. But I don't consider it was lost to the church. It's still there. We just need to roll up our sleeves and dig in. We need to press into God. Maybe it's time to pray. Maybe it's time to fast and pray. Maybe it's time to uh, stop listening to all the uh, other stuff and put the other books away and get my Bible and open it up and start studying. Maybe we need to call five other couples in the church and let's start having a prayer meeting once a week and pray for our nation and pray for the church. It's nothing that was lost, so to speak. And if it was lost, it's going to be found in Christ. It's going to be found in returning to the Lord. It's, it's His church. He's the head. But this statement on His face is false. Nothing, first of all, I don't believe anything's really lost to the church. And certainly, if it, was, if it was something missing that needed to be there, it's going to be found in coming back to the ABCs of Christianity and the Word of God that's forever settled in heaven. It's not going to be found in quantum mysticism. Okay, we almost laugh at that, but the Bible says that according as His divine power is given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who's called us to glory and virtue. Nothing's really lost. And if I've lost it myself or never really possessed it, what I should have had in Christ, then He has it for me if I'll come to Him. He's given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. According to what? Quantum mysticism? According to our knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue. 
through Christ. It's all found in Christ. But, but a lot of times you'll hear this where, where um, people will tell you, well, these false teachers will tell you, you're missing this, you're missing this. And gosh, I didn't even know I was missing anything. And I'm part of the church. I'm his child. I'm a believer. I'm walking with the Lord. I don't want to miss anything. You're missing it. And if you want to find it, you've got to come through me to get it. They wouldn't say those words. You need to be here. You need to be at Bethel Church in Redding, California. Because we found it. We found it. Okay? And, and it's not just that church, but we'll see it. And you need a new set of glasses. You need to see things differently. Let me give you the definition of quantum mysticism, by the way. I don't really even know what it was. I thought I knew pretty much what it was. Okay? I'm not going to assume that we all know. I know it's not Christian. Okay? Quantum mysticism is a set, this is the actual definition, of metaphysical beliefs and associated practices that seek to relate consciousness, intelligence, spirituality, or mystical worldviews to the ideas of quantum mechanics or science, basically, and its interpretation. Quantum mysticism is considered by most scientists and philosophers to be pseudoscience or fake science. Okay? But we're told here in this book that's promoted and sold and expounded upon that the church is missing this. This great work of God's taking place as the Lord restores what's been lost, the teachings and practices of quantum mysticism. But the Bible says that all Scripture is given by God and is profitable. That's what I need. That's what's missing. If I'm missing something, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable, profitable for uh, correction, and rebuke, and instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Period. You're not going to find any other teaching than that. Yes, there. I need to learn it more. I need to get, to get the Lord, but I don't need that. I don't need that. And so, um, these false prophets and teachers, in this case, they want to bring in New Age occultic practices and beliefs into, quote, Christian worship. They put the name of Jesus over it. Does it sound familiar in our text today? Isaiah 48.1, at the end of that verse, they make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. And so they, want, they paint the name Jesus over all of it. So what do I think is a Christian? That's safe. That's Christian. That's safe over there. Listen to them. They're talking about Jesus. Talking about Him being the Savior. The God of love. And, and want a closer encounter with Him and so forth. And so if, I'm not, if I just go into that, maybe we do step into it innocently and we don't know. But very quickly we ought to discern this is not of God. If I discern it's not of God and continue to go, I will be deceived. If I discern it's not of God and step back and say, thank you, God, for protecting me, then I will be protected. Okay? And I could be used to protect, uh, warn others as well. But they put the name of Jesus over it. Those occultic practices, by the way, the New Age type of things, God has forbidden that. You know that? He has forbidden it. It's not a meld or a blend between that and Christianity. There's not. He has forbidden it and He will absolutely judge them. Christian yoga, there's no such thing. I always say, if you want to stretch and pull your head, your foot behind your head, go for it. Okay? If you can do it, you'd have to come rescue me if I did that. Uh, Christian yoga, 
there's no such thing. You want to get limber? Go get limber. You don't have to do a mantra and say, Jesus is my mantra and I'll do Christian yoga. Right? I'll do holy, holy, holy yoga. There's no such thing. Contemplative prayer. Centering prayer. Have you all heard of these? They're not Christian. Prayer is Christian. So it sounds good. The silence. Have you all heard that one? This is in Christianity. This is not just way off. Introduced into Baptist churches. Introduced into Methodist churches. Introduced into all kinds of Christian churches. They have crosses in them. In their church. The centering prayer. The contemplative prayer. The silence. Imagery. Spiritual formation. Visualization. And this is what's been missing to the church. This type of thing. Those are all New Age terms and phrases and practices. You won't find them in the Bible. God's opposed to it. He forbids it and condemns it. And ultimately it has its roots in seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so the centering prayer, by the way, or the, the uh, contemplative prayer, you, you, if you read any books on uh, Eastern meditation and Hinduism and how it's crossed the lines into Christianity, that's one of the first things you'll see. This is why Christian, quote, yoga. You have a, a Baptist church, a big Baptist church with ladies, Christian yoga night. I mean, what's going on? And they think it's totally innocent. They see no contradiction between that and, and the God of the Bible. But there is a contradiction. Not between exercise, physical exercise in the Bible, but between that. Because that Christian word was put in front of the yoga to make it acceptable to introduce a false doctrine, a false teaching, and a false uh, practice. Satan is not stupid. He knows what he's doing. And he gets people hooked and he gets people deceived. And it's not of the Lord. Okay? These false teachers give lip service to the Bible, but in reality, they're undermining the Bible. They literally are undermining it's not even neutral or flat. They give lip service to it and they're undermining the Bible. And one of the tactics, and I just got a couple of things we'll mention here. Uh, there's so much on this, this whole thought of deception. I can't, I'm not going to try to do everything in every sermon. But I, I do want a couple of points as we bring this uh, to a close this morning. One of the tactics that are used uh, by false teachers or false prophets to introduce false teachings to, quote, Christian people or in the name of Christ is to use new words. Sounds kind of silly, but, but it's true. They'll use non-biblical words and terms like the contemplative prayer, like the spiritual formation, like the silence. Uh, and people kind of perk their ears up a little bit and say, wow, this is new. This is exciting. Uh, but they don't realize that the, the terms themselves are like New Age terms or Eastern religion terms. And because people don't know and it's, they're in the safety quote of their own church and among their people, they're, they're being introduced to these new terms to where they'll become comfortable with them. Uh, I've heard this before, spiritual intelligence. You ever heard that one before? Spiritual intelligence. And I would stop and think, does, does the speaker mean wisdom? 
Because wisdom's all over the Bible. Is that what they mean? Or do they mean something else? Because I don't see spiritual intelligence in the Bible. What, what are they saying? It would cause me to question that. The people are like, yep, yeah, we need spiritual intelligence. What does that mean? I studied this book called uh, All the Doctrines of the Bible. Because a lot of people would find it not exciting. It's just all the doctrines of the Bible. It is what it says it is. And it breaks them down. It's tons of scriptures. And I read the whole thing and I love it. And I highlighted the whole book. You know what I mean? Because it's yes, yes. And he, the, he, the author starts that book. Uh, Lock, Lockyer is the author. And he said at the beginning, very introduction, use biblical words to describe biblical truths. Use biblical terms and words to describe biblical truths. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. I have to come up uh, with some new words and introduce it to you to get you excited, perk your ears up, and things like that. Spiritual intelligence, spiritual formation, the silence. Do you mean sitting still and quiet before the Lord and, and you know meditating and so forth? What do you mean? And so that's one of the things. They'll, they'll use non-biblical words to kind of, I don't know what it is, it, it, gender some excitement or whatever and it also introduces people into something they think they're on a cutting edge like in Christianity like we're on this new wave of cutting edge stuff that's been missing and we found it and so that's a, that speaks to the pride of people I think they're not satisfied with the cross and the blood and repentance and salvation and holiness and discipline uh, they want something else so second thing the way words can be used or misused by these false teachers is to use biblical words, but change the meanings. You ever heard this? They use a biblical word that everybody's comfortable with, but they don't at all mean what you know and mean think that that word means and are used to that word meaning. Uh, discipline to them. A lot of these is, is new age discipline. It's it's. We got to get back to the, the spiritual fathers, the desert fathers. Get back to the mystics and all this kind of stuff. Prayer to them means something else, like we've been talking about—a meditation. Meditation to them doesn't mean when when the Lord says, "Blessed is the man," right? He meditates. His delight is in the law, law of the Lord, and in His law does he meditate day and night. Meditation in the Bible sense it means literally to think again. I'm going to think over and over and over and over and over to think about God all day long. You know, think about it, because I don't quite... And, oh, and then I do get it. Lord, thank You for showing me. We think about God. We meditate on His creation. That is a good thing. Okay, Meditation that's being introduced now, is it's a biblical word, but they have a different meaning. They want your mind to be blank. Think of nothing. Have no thought. And when you have no thought, when you get yourself to that place, and I know I'm kind of being a little... When they do this, and cross their legs, and sit down... And they're trying to get to this place, I forgot what the term's called, where there's no thought. And when there's no thought, then God will meet with you. You know who else will meet with you? <laughs> Satan will meet with you. He's just as happy. He's just as happy to come under the name of Jesus. If I want to get my mind blank and my mantra would be over and over, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because I'm already condemned. I'm already, not condemned, I'm already practicing something that he's condemned. He's going to wake me up out of that stupor and get me back in my Bible and go really meditate on God and worship the Lord Jehovah. But they use biblical words, but they have different meanings to them. And what it does, it causes the people to settle down and feel comfortable. 
Well, he's talking about repentance. Lip service. He's talking about salvation. I'm going to give another example of this. And uh, in, the, in the Bethel church, gospel, if we thought of soul winning and the gospel and missions and evangelism, people coming to know Christ, the Bible says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? The power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. He already has the power. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. The Holy Ghost comes in with that gospel, starts to work in a man's life. They'll either be saved or lost. But if they're going to be saved, that's how they're going to be saved, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, the gospel according to Bethel, I'm going to quote, remember I mentioned Lindsay Davis, this, this girl that came out of that school and her, God opened her eyes and, and she's no longer part of the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries. She was in it innocently wanting to serve God. The Lord opened her eyes. She fasted and prayed and sought the Lord all through the night. Didn't go to sleep. Get up at 5 in the morning and start the next day. And God spoke to her. And it was returning to the Gospel, the Word of God that began to open her eyes. <clears throat> but she says the Gospel according to Bethel is pretty much this. God just loves you. I'm paraphrasing. God wants you to have a relationship with Him. Those are true. God loves you and God wants... That's not the Gospel, okay? Not in its entirety, by a long shot. God just wants to come into your heart. It's all just what God wants in it. You need, this is how they kind of close it, you need to take on heaven's perspective. What does that mean? Honestly, did you hear anything about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? The sinfulness of man? The wrath of God? Heaven, hell, the coming judgment upon sinners? The love of God that He so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son? What did He do? He died. Why did He have to die? For your sins. For my sins. Nothing about that. He just loves you. God wants you to have a relationship with Him. Uh, he wants to have an encounter with you. So if this church, for example, and I'm using Bethel because it's an example, okay, said we're, we're big into evangelism and missions, and you were there visiting, you would say, this is great. Missions and evangelism. But missions and evangelism to this church is not go you unto all the world. Teach and preach this gospel. Teach him men to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Right? But they're comfortable with the words evangelism and soul winning, sharing the gospel, and so forth. And I'm going to give you a, a, an example. This is a real example. There was a group of students from this Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, Bethel Church in Redding, California. They decided one night they wanted to go out. There was a psychic fair in their town. The psychics had their little booth set up. Because you go from psychic to psychic. Okay? And this group from Reading, these students, wanted to go and set up their own booth at the psychic fair. And they determined, they made purpose, they made agreement. We set up our booth. We're not going to identify ourselves as Christian, and we're not going to uh, mention when we talk to people that come to our booth, go from a psychic booth to this their booth. We're not going to mention the we determined beforehand. We're not going to mention the name Father, Son, or Holy Ghost. We're going to try to bring people to an encounter with God. And they testified 
They use the word spirit of creation instead. I can tell you right now, a new ager would have no problem with that term. Okay, the spirit of creation. So they determined not to, to do this. They, they came back and reported that they led many people to the Lord and many people to an encounter with God. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not poking fun at them. I'm not saying, look at these silly people at Beth. This is deception. This is an example in our day. You know people. You know a Bethel. And you know people that follow that stuff. And maybe they just follow the music and think they can separate it. But the music is an instrument. And they'll tell you, we're an instrument of our doctrine. We're an instrument of our pastor. And so forth. And so... Nothing in their gospel about the deity of, of the Lord. And, but they led many people to the Lord, they said. But the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. But they didn't mention the name of Jesus and him being God's son or Christ the Lord or anything like that. And the Bible tells us they came back all excited. They got to lead all these people to the Lord. And Jesus says, rejoice not when the 70 came back. That this, the Lord, the devils were subject to us in your name. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Evangelism, and according to this student, is probably corroborated by others. The student that came out, evangelist, because she went out with them, is they go out in the public arena and they pray for physical healings. And they want to see signs and wonders and manifestations. I'm all for signs and wonders, but I'm told that they follow them that believe. They follow. These signs should follow them that believe. And they go out, hey, you got one leg shorter than the other, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for this, I'm going to pray for that. And they're wanting to see these manifestations take place. And anybody that doesn't agree with them, any Christian that doesn't agree with them, they will say, you and I have a powerless gospel. A powerless gospel. But Jesus, again, He didn't say rejoice that the demons are subject to you. I think God that they are. But here's what I want you to rejoice in. Rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what it's really all about. Okay? And so, um, this student confronted her, her leaders while she was still in this school. And God was waking her up and showing her the truth. She wanted to do what was right. She went to those in authority. She spoke to those above her. And she spoke to the leaders of the church in a private meeting. And she says, why is the gospel, I mean, I've been here over a year, why is the gospel never clearly presented? I mean, I don't hear it when we go out with it on the streets. I don't hear it from the pulpit, in our school, in our classes. And they said, uh, well, we, we value, this is a quote, we value the gospel, we're just not giving it much airtime." It's a literal quote. Now we say, well, what is valuing it, first of all, lip service, Right? Not giving it much airtime, well then what are you giving airtime? Remember I talked about the honey barrel? Stick your head in the honey barrel, come out. Oh, I got a touch from the Lord. And there's nothing there. It's not of God. And this is going on. But the Bible tells us the gospel according to the Word of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel that I preach to you, that you received, that you were saved by, and wherein you stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 that Christ was uh, crucified according to the Scriptures, 
buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and we have eyewitnesses to testify of which I'm one, Paul said, of the risen Lord. This is the gospel, okay? And it has, because he has, the power of God unto salvation. That's a different thing. We use a biblical word like gospel, maybe soul winning, witnessing, evangelism. Does God want to do signs and wonders in our day? Absolutely. Should we desire that? Absolutely. Absolutely we should. Don't be afraid of signs and wonders. Don't follow them. They follow us. Amen? As we would walk with the Lord. I'm going to close with a couple of more thoughts. They give lip service to words like repentance. But they don't preach it. There's a difference. You could leave here today and say, well, he, he mentioned repentance. You understand the point? I heard him mention it. Or you hear terms like, I'm not saying you don't have to repent. But they're not preaching repentance. They're just giving lip service to it because it makes you and I feel comfortable with, hey, he believes in repentance. I heard him mention it. They make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth and in righteousness. And so lip service to me, and this is where it gets subtle, and this is where it gets tricky, and this is where it gets, uh, we better have some discernment and know God, and be filled with the Spirit, be walking with the Lord and know His Word, and have it hidden in our heart. Okay? That's just who we are and what He's making us. So wherever we go, we would have discernment. Okay? Whatever, whether I was expecting to go to something that was false or expecting to go to something that was wonderful, and it turned out to be false. Maybe it turns out to be wonderful. But I need to go with this, that discernment in me when I go. They, they use, give lip service to, to uh, repentance, holiness, God, truth, sanctification, obedience, sound doctrine, discipline, defending the faith. You know, I know of a church where they start every service by holding up their Bible and say, I, I am who this Word says I am. I believe what it says it, it says and so forth. They put it down and never open it again. The whole rest of the sermon. Okay, they just talk about uh, whatever. But, but we're, that's, Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. Okay? Amen. Preach the Word. In, in light of the Lord coming to judge the quick and the dead, he says, you better preach the Word. And they make mention of these words, but not in truth. Repentance, holiness, so forth. And not in, in righteousness. Not with a true conviction. Not with the intent of actually teaching and practicing those things. Or you hear them say, I'm, I'm very approachable. I'm very humble. Are they approachable and humble because they say they are? Are they approachable and humble because they're approachable and humble? Humble. <laughs> you know, it's different. Um, they say they are. But then when you go like this girl go, goes to try to talk to and they say, we think you better leave this school. You know what I'm saying? If they're not approachable they give lip service to things like this. Or, oh, she's so kind, or he's so kind, they're so loving, they're so godly, they're so biblical. Again, is it because they are that, or because they've gained the reputation and everybody else says that? Like I said, if 9,000 people stand up and clap for you every time you walk in the room, and you're the number 9,001 who walked in, you say, this guy must be the best. Look, and it, and it happens. It really does happen. And, and it's, it's gains a following. They make mention of these things. They give lip service to things that are familiar and godly and of God, but not in truth. In truth, they undermine it. And so the Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. The false comes like a, like a sheep. But inwardly, 
they're ravening wolves, the Bible says. Am I scared of everybody and every preacher and every church? No. I'm just doing what the Bible says. Beware. Okay? Beware. This is how they come. And they're going to come. The Bible says, For when they speak, and I'm closing, with great swelling words of vanity. Peter's talking about the false prophets in chapter 2, 2 Peter. We studied that months ago. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure you through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. This is right in context. They're speaking about false prophets. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. Okay? They speak great swelling words. Great swelling words. Words have power. Okay? But these are great swelling words of vanity. They allure you. Okay? And they lead those that had come out of maybe sin and come to know the Lord, they lead them back in. They speak great swelling words and they lure people back in. And so, I actually heard this. Steve, you come on. I actually heard this from a, from a person in, in a congregation. And the idea of deception came up. That literally, we don't have to fear being deceived because Jesus loves us. That's one of those where you scratch your head and you're like, that's one of those where you, you say something that's true that Jesus loves us and mixing it in the same sentence with something that's false. And you're kind of like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, we do know though. And we know we need to stand in what we know. We don't have to fear being deceived because Jesus loves us. We don't have to fear being deceived in this church because our pastor preaches the truth. He's so godly. What God doesn't say, that's your ticket to not being deceived. You understand my point? That He loves us. He loves lost people that are going to hell every day. And the fact that you have, you say that your pastor preaches the truth. That still doesn't relieve the, the concern. I wouldn't call it fear then I need to be a Berean and check out what's being spoken. Y'all understand the point of that? But to this individual, and it was amen by a lot of other people sitting there in the prayer meeting, it was amen to this individual. They're done with the idea of being deceived in their church. We can't possibly be deceived. Number one, Jesus loves us. Number two, our pastor is such a godly man and preaches the truth. He tells us he does. So, we're just... You understand the point? This they, they speak great swelling words, and then yet it comes a point where you have people that that promote it along with the leader. They're promoting it with the leader, and that's not where our safety is. I know I quoted this last week, but I just wanted again. We're closing with this scripture: "For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, Isaiah thirty fifteen: In returning and rest shall you be saved." The comfort, the strength, the safety, the security, the, the protection from all the wiles of the devil and the schemes and the false doctrine, the false prophets. In, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. But well, we will. Amen. In Jesus' name. I want to stay with the Lord. I want to walk closely with His Word. I don't wake up. I didn't wake up this morning afraid I was going to be deceived. 
Okay? But I understand the times in which we're living. God wants us to know. He wants us to walk in that truth. I'm not your safety. God can use me to preach the Word. It's the Word and the Lord that's your safety. It's wonderful to have a pastor that that knows that and is striving to be that. Okay? But the Lord's the Good Shepherd. He's the one that's going to protect us. If I got off and fell off a cliff, please don't follow me off a cliff spiritually. Grab me before I fall. Amen? Y'all pray with me. Father, we love You today.